pray together. Father, we do thank you for that truth. Thank you. We've gathered to, together this morning because we love you, Lord. We thank you for our salvation through Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our life. And Lord, I pray this morning that the reality of that, the reality of Jesus being our life and us sharing in the, the life of Christ and all that that means, I pray, Father, today that... Um, we might take another step forward in all of our lives in terms of, of benefiting from that and how we live, who we are, how we behave, that uh, truly, Father, we might make our, our calling and election sure and uh, be certain that we would not fall away but continue to serve you uh, with passionate hearts, oh God. So, Lord, I pray that you would draw us and attract us to your word this morning and the implications of it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So how's everybody doing in this physical distancing time? I don't know why, but I got thinking this morning, this must be a nightmare for close talkers. Like, this, this must be just the the epitome of the worst of, of worst. But anyway, imagine everybody backing up from you all the time. It's just got to be weird. But um, just wanted to mention to you tonight that uh, we're really excited to be able to lay hands on Pastor Kelvin in the theological respect of that word and uh, recognize God's call in his life uh, through ordination. There's a few spaces still left for the service, so if you haven't had a chance to register... Uh, why don't you do that right after the service and join with us um, here at 6 o'clock tonight. We're really looking forward to that and all that God is doing and has been doing all these years in, in Calvin's life. Most of you have heard of the saying, nice guys finish last. Do you know that saying? Perhaps you don't know where it came from. It's about 70-some-odd years old, that saying. Nice guys finish last. It's accredited to Leo DeRocher, who was the manager of the then Brooklyn uh, Dodgers, uh, who were still in New York before they moved to California. And uh, one day, uh, Leo was with uh, some of uh, his baseball players. He has coaches and stuff. And they were on the old polo grounds at, uh, in New York watching batting practice of the New York Giants, who were also in New York in those days. And um, they were going, they were watching these guys. I think Mel Ott was the general manager then of the team, nice, real nice guy. And, uh, you know, guy by, player by player came up to do batting practice, and they would say to DeRocher, this guy's such a nice guy. I said, yeah, he's a nice guy. And they'd go to the, yeah, 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 they're nice guys. And finally, Leo said, yeah, um, he said, listen, uh, these New York Giants, they're all nice guys. He said, uh, and, and what's the standings? He said, uh, the New York Giants are in last place. The Brooklyn Dodgers are in first place. Nice guys finish last. And as it turned out, that year, the New York Giants did finish last. So nice guys finish last. It seems like um, that saying has sort of caught on. Uh, DeRocher, of course, was known as a take-no-prisoners kind, kind of uh, sports coach, uh, win-at-all-costs, guerrilla warfare, 
didn't mind when spikes were high and bean balls uh, were, were thrown and baiting umpires because it was all about not being a nice guy because nice guys finish last. Well, today we're looking at the scriptures whereby it says that we are called to be nice guys or nice women. Add to your faith or make every effort to add to your faith, today we're gonna see, goodness. So would you please open your Bibles to chapter two of, or or second Peter, chapter one, uh, today as we look at this text. There are some concerning things that are happening in the Christian world for sure our world, uh, and that is that uh, there's a disturbing trend among some people calling themselves Christians who are uh, concluding that Christianity is not really adding value to their life. In fact, some people are, I've heard, are leaving church because they feel like church is not adding any value to their lives. That may be so of some settings, I don't know, but but, um, when I read the scriptures, I think My, there is so much here to add value to my life and so much work that God yet has to do in my life that I can't even imagine concluding that uh, Christianity is adding no value to your life. There's also a distressing trend, of course, and most of you are aware of this, of the moral collapse uh, within the lives of influential Christian leaders. And it's, it's disturbing. And quite honestly, I think this text addresses the... The, the p- potential rationale for why um, we're seeing such a, a departure uh, from everything that's right. Um, the shocking antics this past summer over years of uh, a president of a major Christian university who has not only ruined his testimony and is in a, in a Christian crisis, but just basic intelligence and common sense meltdown is quite stunning. There's a lot more to Christianity and genuine faith, as we find in the scriptures, than believing in the historic Jesus and hanging out at Christmas and Easter. And so this is what the Apostle Peter is directing us to. If you're, if you're, if you're not experiencing value added, then you're missing out, Peter says, in the robustness of the full gospel and, and what you can have and should have in Christ, the epic personal transformation that comes with being a believer that should be taking place. It's, it's part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. Now, we, we have witnessed during our time, uh, during this particular few months, that, that seems to be quite natural for people to be quite concerned and quite vigilant about their physical health. Well, Peter, this call of Apostle Peter in this text is to, for us to be vigilant about our spiritual health, to be vigilant about our souls. We are to supernaturally, by our new nature given to us in Christ, to be, cons- to be um, committed to radical life change. And so he, he as we learned last week, Um, You've received faith in Christ as a gift? Great. Congratulations. That's spectacular. Now, add to your faith. In fact, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. I want to look at one word every every week. I must say, as I I got to my study this week, the start of the week, and sat down and realized my assignment was to make a sermon on the basis of one word, I was rethinking the intelligence of the choice that I'd made for this fall, especially since this word is only 
it's only, it appears less than a handful of times in the scriptures. And, uh, but you know what? You know me better than that. Uh, one word was all I needed. And uh, here we have from the word of God, one word is so rich that actually I was, as I was writing the sermon, I was thinking, okay, it's getting too long. I need to, t- I need to cut this thing back. I need to scale back. So, so you know, I'm, I'm praying that we can, we can work our way through this. I think we, we, what we are facing in the culture today is the scandalous carnage uh, of the fruit of decades of leadership lacking in moral excellence. When we're talking about this word goodness, it can be translated a number of ways. It can be the word virtue or moral excellence, um, goodness. Uh, so I, I think you can agree with us all around that that. Everywhere we look, we see a a lack in this area of virtue and and moral goodness. And the word is the word is a rete in Greek for those of you who that matters to. And and uh, it's the fruit of saving faith. Uh, Along with what Paul has written in some of his writings, for instance, the the fruit of the spirit that he writes about in Galatians. This is kind of Peter's rendition in a way of the fruit of the spirit. This is, this is what it looks like to, to be a, a believer, what, it, what, it, what a believer acts like, what a believer grows like, a certain kind of disciple. This is who, who we are. And there's a content, we learned last week, there's a content to be believed, the faith. There's an orthodox content of theology to be believed. There's a a gift of faith to be received. We can't drum up this faith on our own. It's a gift given to us by the grace of God, the ability to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. But now there's, there's a way to live in light of the gift that we've received of salvation. And that's what we're being given here. We're, we're persuaded, uh, I would say that's a pretty light word, we're commanded to make every effort to live this way of life. In, in fact, Peter's appealing to genuine Christians to be drawn to this. And so, I appeal to you as well from God's word. Well, let's look at it again. Let's look at the context of it just so we, we, we see this, the words here. Um, verse 5, 2 Peter 1, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities, which is the title of our series, in increasing measure, so obviously it's expected that we will grow and need to grow and can grow, you aren't handed this in full form uh, at salvation, it's expected that you will cooperate with the Lord and put effort into this, but if you do, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ or in your experience of the Christian life, your experiencing of being a child of Jesus Christ, okay? So I think what we'll look at, the, the basic outline that will probably follow, style that will probably follow throughout these weeks is... Uh, take a look at what the word actually means and why we should be engaged in that particular meaning of that word and how. I know you all want me to get to how as fast as I can 
because that's where everybody always wants to go. Okay, forget the theology. Just tell me how to do this, and, and then we can just go home. Well, I'm going to tell you, first of all, I, I have a couple of things I want to tell you before we talk about how, all right? Because we need to know what. There's three angles, so there's three angles I want to look at, and uh, there's enough in the Bible to help us to understand what this is. So the der- what's the derivation of its meaning and the source? Well, it's the divine nature of God, all right? who himself is excellent at moral goodness. The, this word goodness, moral goodness or excellent. Um, in 1 Peter 2 um, and, and verse, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises are literally the goodness this word, the arete of God. We've been, we've been rescued out of uh, uh, the slave market of sin and brought into this nation called God's nation, his people, his holy people, his royal priesthood, from every tribe and every race. There's a full representation of all of humanity by God's grace brought into his Family, because he is good, because he is morally excellent, because that's who he is. We are, we are mercied. In fact, uh, Jameson, Fosdick, and Brown, in their description of this uh, word, goodness, they talk about the energetic excellency of God, the energetic excellency of God. Goodness, goodness isn't just sort of a state, it's an action as well. It's a, it's a way of being. So we are called to add to our faith, add to our faith that we believe in Jesus Christ as the one and only sin sacrifice for us to have a relationship with God the Father, but that we are actually energetically excellent in goodness and virtue and morality. We are saved out of this world, mercied, a full representation of who God is. But also this, and this next point is actually going to get a little bit philosophically funky, so, so stay with me. Uh, the first group were, this morning were just staring at me like, hey, if we signed up for a philosophy class, um, we didn't realize that. So if you don't mind, we're checking out. But you, you need to hear this. This is really, really, I think, cool. The unseen substance, this goodness of God, this moral excellency of God is the unseen substance of which the universe was created. Okay? Now, you're saying, okay, okay, help me with this. Well, here's the thing. Secularists, scientists, and all who are attempting in some ways to analyze and, and, and assume, make assumptions and conclusions about the, the universe, uh, for the most part, misfire. Because they are, the assumptions and the analysis that they are making is that the universe was made from material things. And the Bible specifically and explicitly states that the universe was not made from what is seen, but from what is unseen. Now, don't take my word for it. Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, just so you hear it from the word of God in your own ears. Verse 3, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And I want to pause here for a moment and, and, and 
it, it's critical for us to understand, if we're to understand the absurdity of what's around us, the reason that there's so much misjudgment, misfiring, incorrect data, incorrect behavior is because those who are defining the universe for the most part are defining it from the wrong substance, on the basis of the wrong substance. They are basing it on the substance of the material and therefore, because it's material, it has no moral quality. But that's completely counter to the reality of how the universe was created. The universe was actually created on the basis of the moral excellency of God. The essence, the moral excellence, so the world was made from immaterial resources and that immaterial resource is the moral excellency of God. So that the universe was made on the basis of the moral virtue of God. So it is, it is critical that, that really, we, if we are really to live from what we are made, <laughs> we are to live on the basis of the moral excellency of God. If you really want to go back to the basics, if you really want to go back to grassroots, if you really want to go back to origin, we were called into existence by the, on the basis of the substance of God's immaterial excellence and virtue so that he could say of his creation, it is good. In creation, everything was morally perfect, morally good. This is very important when Peter tells us that because of our new relationship with Jesus Christ, our ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are called to be who we really were made to be until sin messed it up. So we, we are really called to aspire to the best essence of our creation. Now you can see where the secularists and scientists who are only viewing everything as material in its origin have no sense of moral efficacy for creation and why culture is so drifting in the wrong direction. Peter's calling us back to who we're supposed to be. That's why God, that's why we are call, called his temple. His, we, he lives within us. And the temple, as I've said to you before, is the purpose of the temple is to proclaim and, and call, and the call is to reveal the God who dwells within. And he is morally excellent. Anything other than that means that the created thing is not working right. If we are not functioning on the basis of moral excellence, we are not working right. Okay. The third aspect of this derivation of the meaning is it is the divine quality by which we were called into salvation. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power, meaning Jesus, 
has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, now listen, who called us, how? By his own glory and, here's our word, goodness. This is how we were called. So the divine ethics of our salvation, in other words, how God could justify building a nation for himself of sin-stained people like us is because of his glory and because of his goodness. In other words, God saving us is a good thing. And he justifies our salvation on the basis of his own moral character because it is a good thing to save us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fabulous? So why, you know, when you ask people, why, did, why were you saved? Well, that wasn't because of my good looks. Although Lynn thinks so. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it, it wasn't because of that. It wasn't because of, of any, anything that we would do in the future or be useful to God. It wasn't because we were nice people or because we were strong people or because we were intelligent people. We were saved because of his glory and his goodness. That's all. That's the reason. And it's a free gift of us because of his glory and because of his goodness. And Peter says, you get to be part of that. You get to be in on this. You get to experience what it is to be morally excellent because of your salvation. Why do I say that? Well, the second part in terms of why. It says here in verse 4, through these, in other words, his own glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Because of his glory and because of his goodness, he called us into salvation, and in so doing, he has invited us to join in his renovation program in our lives to return us to the prototype of what it really means to be human made in the image and likeness of God as partakers of the divine nature. So if you want to be an effective and productive Christian, anybody want to be that? A couple of you. We all want to be effective and productive Christians, don't we? Absolutely. If you want to be an effective and productive Christian, you have to make every effort to be excellent at being good. So you're saying, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not experiencing effectiveness. I'm not experiencing productivity. Well, it could be because you're not good. Now, um, let's just talk a little bit about acquiring this quality and what it means to participate in the divine nature. We, are, we obtain our spiritual credentialing through fellowship with the Spirit. In other words, um, this word participate is share in or fellowship. It means, it means more than just rubbing shoulders with God. It's not just about hanging, we just get to hang with God. It, it, it means more than that. In fact, uh, maybe one page over from where you're at, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 John writes, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, referencing Jesus, of course, so that you also may have fellowship with us, 
And our fellowship or our sharing is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Literally, this sharing means we are in union, not just rubbing shoulders with God so that some of his goodness rubs off on us because we hang out with him. We are actually, if we are Christians, we are actually placed in union with the divine. We are in union with him. So this is not sort of superstar Christianity that I'm talking about here. What Peter is talking about here is is for all Christians. This is not just for superstardom. This is for all because we all by salvation, have become partakers of the divine nature. And we've talked about one of the aspects of his divine nature is moral excellence, is goodness. We're in union with the God who is morally excellent. Now, um, we need to note that we are called to salvation because God is morally excellent. We already noted that. Why were we saved? Because of his glory and his goodness. But we were also attracted to God because of his moral excellence. That's why Paul could write to the Romans in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and say it is the goodness or patience or forbearance or kindness of God that leads to repentance. It is God's, this goodness of God, this moral excellence of God is what God uses to attract lost people to himself. Now, we also know, of course, that, it is, that it's what God uses to attract the elect, but it's also what ends up repelling the rebellious. And this works the same way in our own lives. As we take upon the mantle of our responsibility for evangelism and mission, it is the, this quality, the moral excellence of God in us that attracts people to Jesus while at the same time, this moral excellence in us can also result in the opposite response, whereby people hate us. Because the moral excellence with which we live shines the bright light of Jesus on the moral failures of people. And they can either be attracted to want to change or entrenched in their rebellion and offended by your moral excellence. So, there's more to this. Our engagement draws people, but also sometimes repels people. But look at what this text says. We have precious promises, promises to purify our lives, to make us more like Christ. This participation in the divine nature works this way. Look at what it says as it finishes up the the verse 4. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is so critical to our lives of growth. You've probably encountered lots of people around you who say, you know, I live this way, and, and we, we would reject the way they live. We would say the way they live is immoral. I live this way because God made me this way. Nothing could be further from the truth. This verse makes it abundantly clear that people are corrupt because of their evil desires, not because of God. And this salvation that happens and the 
precious promises that are given to us by the goodness and glory of God. And this participation, being in union with the goodness of God, enables us to be able to say no to wicked desires and escape the corruption of this world. The only escape for us, the only escape for humanity, the only way humanity can get out of this horrible rut of corruption that, by the way, they have engaged in because of their own wicked desires that they have fully given full vent to is by the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's what this text is teaching us. This is a powerful lesson of, of, of what spirit indwelling will do to correct desires, to change attractions, and to enable us to escape from corruption. And by the way, we are talking now about what it means to be, to be moved toward a pre-fall prototype. Every quality that Peter lays out for us here are the qualities that would exist in our lives if sin hadn't have damaged them. And so the opportunity for us here is to continue to grow in Christ-likeness, who is the ultimate prototype of pre-fall, the only sinless one. And so in this, we, we are called to therefore advertise, because of salvation, God's brand in our lives and what it looks like, and what it behaves like. And we are to give zeal and seriousness about moral excellence. That's what make every effort to add is all about, zeal and seriousness. In fact, in verse eight, it says, if you possess these qualities, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, at least at the seed level, you possess these qualities. Then in verse 10, it says, then do these things. If you are a follower of Jesus, and if you have these qualities, and of course you do, then do them. Make every effort. That's what, that's what we're called to here. This is a very practical statement. And, and being morally excellent is, is, when, is when your life is manifesting its highest and best use as a human. There's, um, there's, this is kind of a, an economics reference that I'm using, or, or even a real estate uh, reference, which is even more uh, um, specific to the issue. Uh, I had a, back, a background, as you know, in real estate, and when we'd sell property, the property had a particular zoning on it. You all know this. If you live in a house, your zoning is residential. If you have a shopping plaza, the zoning's commercial. If you have a vacant piece of land, and that land is zoned commercial, for instance, it would be a really bad economic decision for you to put a house on that land. Because that land, the highest and best use of that land is commercial. So you put a plaza on that thing because it makes money that way. The, the essence of this moral excellence is precisely described that way for us. The highest and best use of a human being is when we are living according to the moral excellence of Jesus Christ. You are never more human as God made you to be than when you are exercising moral goodness. The antithesis of that is 
you are never less human as intended to be than when you are acting immorally. So we are to advertise God's brand. An, a knife cuts, a bee pollinates flowers and makes honey. A Christian is morally good. That, that's how the universe is supposed to work. And this moral excellence moves to a moral reliability. If you are morally excellent, that means you are morally also reliable so that when people charge you of something that is bad, that is not right, the people around you who know you are able to say, no, I, I know Barney. I know Barney wouldn't have done that because Barney is morally excellent. That, that, this kind of moral excellence that, that shapes and changes your life, radically changes your life, so that it is true that people can say, no, you know, no, I know him, he wouldn't do that. And believe me, that's important. Your moral defense is very important. You, you see, to not be trusted as morally excellence puts all of the other theological skills in jeopardy. If you fail here, it's virtually impossible to succeed elsewhere. And by the way, this isn't just about doing good things. This is also entails not doing bad things. It's a two-way thing, because you can't atone for bad by doing good. You can't say, well, you know, yeah, I got a lot of bad things going on, but you know what, I got so many good things going on. That's not how the scale works with God. This is an all or nothing. You are to be morally excellent and to be growing and making every effort to grow in this area. So practically, it's not an option. It's not an option to do good. You know, so what am I talking about here, advertising God's brand? Well, you know, uh, this week, and it, I, I forgot who I was driving with in the first service, but I remembered now, I was with Paul Pepiet, and I think Kelvin, too. I think we were driving together. And... Uh, so we, we got stopped up uh, as we were, Paul was driving, we got stopped up um, on uh, Rosalind as you're coming up the hill there towards Simcoe. And we were on the outside or the inside lane, whichever, whichever however you call it, the center lane of the four lane. And so, you know, there was somebody turning left, so we were going to turn into the, the lane that was, was open. And there was a guy behind us as well, came up with the same idea at the same time. So he pulls out as well. And, and, and so, you know, what should happen is the, the guy who first goes and the next guy goes. But no, this guy's idea of what he should do is just lay on the horn. Like, hey, I'm important. I should be first. It doesn't matter that you were ahead of me and that you were trained. No, I should go first. And that, you know, that, that is so opposite of moral excellence. Moral excellence includes the small decisions in life every day of what is morally right? How should I be behaving? How should I not benefit myself but take care of my neighbor, someone around me, someone, someone who needs to do something? Why wouldn't I voluntarily make it easier for them to do something? And by the way, while I'm on this subject, I have a real bugaboo in, in, in a particular thing, and, and I hope nobody in here is, is like this, but, 
But when you're on a, a, a highway like the 401, okay, and, and there's construction going on, and they give you a sign like miles and miles up the road that says, like, you know, the right lane is merging and, and we're going to one lane. I, I hope, you know, I hope you're not that person who when you see the line that starts to, to line up and you're coming along, I hope you're not that person that pulls out and tries to race the whole line down to where it merges because you're so important and, and you need to get in and you need to hold all the traffic up. See, that's not moral goodness. I'm sorry, it's not. And uh, I've been known because uh, I, it's, it's just a thing with me to pull out halfway and hold traffic back and drive along slow because I learned this from truck drivers and people are just like giving you all kinds of gestures that aren't really moral goodness and, and to, to actually treat everybody properly like, hey, you know what? We all got in line here because this is the way it should be. Folks, that's, that's moral goodness. It's, it's the small things of going to the store and lining up properly, not butting in and thinking you're so important. Moral excellence. So how do we make every effort to add to our total trust in Christ, the consistent moral goodness of Christ? Because you wanted me to get here. There's four practices that I want to point out to you today. And by the way, this idea of adding to your faith, literally the... Literally, it's been, it was used in ancient language uh, in other places, and, and the example was given whereby you might have a choir with something else added. So your faith in Christ is an all-or-nothing faith. I mean, it is, it's, an, it's an all-robust trust in Jesus. These, these values are evidence of your faith that need to be added to the robustness of what it means to inherit salvation, okay? So to give lavishly with generosity, to adorn your faith, to supplement your loyalty to Christ. There are four practices, and the first is this. You have the precious promise of the law of the Spirit at work with you. Can I just say this to you very quickly? You can't make yourself good. You cannot. You can try and you can, you can do some good things here and there, but, but what we're talking about in terms of the moral excellence of God only comes from God. And so, you know, Paul writes to the Romans and makes it abundantly clear that guess what? You know, you have received something very special. Therefore, Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through, because those who are in Christ Jesus, that means Christians, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. In other words, a list of rules you can never keep because of our own weakness, our own sinful nature, our own weakness, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. This is, uh, this is the excellence of salvation is remarkable. 
Jesus has granted to us his righteousness so that when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw us, but when he looks at us, he now sees Jesus. And this righteousness that has been granted to us also includes an indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit whose law is now at work in our life. The systematic, systemic, I should say, failures in our culture, and there are many, the systemic flaws in our culture are on the basis of the fact that the systems that are put together are not put together on the virtues of God but rather on the attempted goodness of man, which will never cut it. That's why we have so much, so much trouble today, so much unrest, so much rebellion, so much, so much uh, fighting and infighting. So systemic failures and flaws exist everywhere, but you're not to be systemically fail, uh, a, f- a systemic failure and a flaw because you have been given the spirit of God in your life. We're, we're not... We're not given a, a list of, of, of moral uh, uh, laws to attempt to, to keep on our own strength, but rather we've been granted now a relationship with Christ that gives us the power to say no to sin, to say no to desires that are, that are displeasing to God. If we cooperate with the spirit-led impulses in our lives as opposed to shutting them down, You know when you're pulling out and you really want to be first, but you know that the Holy Spirit's put you in a full Nelson saying, no, stop, don't pull out, let that guy go first. You've heard this voice, you know this voice. Tamuchka, you know this voice, you've heard it. No, don't pull up at the front of the line, you don't belong there. And you can say, I'm going, or no, I'm going to listen to the prompting of the law of the Spirit in my life. Secondly, to train in moral goodness by obeying God's morally excellent handbook, the Bible. This is where the transformation of our thought life takes place in the scriptures. And there's no help around us, folks. The culture is not a bastion of moral excellence. There's just no help around us. And so be very careful right now who and what you align yourself to, what ideologies and what groups in terms of social justice and social injustice and all that's going on around us because it's warped and distorted. It's flawed and systemically flawed. It's not based upon the moral excellence of God. It's interesting that the writer of Proverbs actually foresaw our time when he wrote in Proverbs 17 verse 15, Beware of those who justify the wicked and condemn the righteous. Both alike are an abomination to God. Listen to that. We are living right now in a day and age when people are calling right wrong and wrong right. Listen, beloved, we answer to God. We answer to his moral code. We answer to his moral excellence. We answer to his justice. We answer to God for our moral and social choices. Beware of those out there who are making bad social choices, perverting social justice. The standard from which we are called is not, or from which God will base his judgment on us is not political correctness. Political correctness is an attempt 
to avoid accountability and hide who you truly are inside by using the proper words outside. We are judged by biblical correctness. Third, pray. Pray for opportunities to be good, to do good, for eyes to see opportunities for moral excellence around us in this, in this immoral world that we live in. The writer of James, James said, you have not because you ask not. Surely making every effort includes asking for every opportunity. Surely that's what it means. So ask for opportunities. Ask for God to give you many opportunities for the willingness to sacrifice and the courage to stand for moral excellence with your friends and with your coworkers and on Facebook and in the car and, and, and on the street. In spite of the fact that, they, that the culture that we live in, when you press the issues of moral excellence, calling right right and wrong wrong, they will cancel you and the drop of a hat. It takes courage to be who you are and to be and to make every effort. Jesus, by the way, was crucified for blasphemy, if you can imagine. Very God himself, how could he blaspheme? Jesus was, was charged for the, uh, allegedly charged for the crime of blasphemy. In spite of the fact that all he ever did was speak truth. And why was he called, why was he crucified? Because he didn't comply with the position of the Jewish Roman authorities. Pray for opportunities to be good. And finally, seek forgiveness for failure and not denial. Repent. We have all, we have all, in fact, countless times, I have second-guessed an event or a moment and said, oh, that, that wasn't a good choice. That, 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 I was acting out of instinct and frustration or whatever, but that was not morally excellent. Now, you can either gaslight the Holy Spirit and try to justify it. Well, you know what? The, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. You can try that if you want. But you will never grow in goodness. Growing in goodness requires of us to face our ungoodness and repent of it. Don't deny it. Repent of it. Sometimes we've chosen comfort over moral excellence or we've chosen convenience over moral excellence. Let's get honest with God. We are called because we can be this, because we must be this, because this is the best that has been given to us through our salvation to make us more and more like the ultimate prototype, Jesus Christ. That's who we've been called. The landscape won't help you. Out there, virtue has become vice. Productive living has become destructive living. Spiritual effectiveness is being given over to shameful behavior. Statesmanship has given itself over to politics. Truth has been replaced by political correctness and lies and fake. Love has been given over to just sex. And sex has been given over to just sodomy. That's the world we're living in. 
It's not morally excellent. It's the antithesis of it. And by God's grace, there should be a people in this world who live differently, who behave differently, because we can, because we are able, because we are energized, because we are in fellowship and in union with Jesus Christ. So let's be good because of God's glory and because of his goodness. Our Father, I pray and thank you for this exhortation to us from your word. Lord, um, there's nothing too hard to understand here. It's not too difficult. It's difficult, Lord. The difficulty is in enacting it in our lives because we become so steeped in in cultural instinctiveness and, and, and just reactions, Lord, when in fact you've called us to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to hear Him, to uh, rely on the energy we have from God to be this morally excellent people. I pray for my brothers and my sisters here and those online, those across the road, who's ever listening, Lord. Uh, May you uh, challenge us this week in a variety of ways. Lord, show it. Open up our eyes. Let us see where we're falling short, and let us see opportunities, Lord, and may we seize those opportunities to be morally excellent in this world, in this dark world. Some will be drawn to the faith, and those entrenched in hardness will rebel. But may we have the courage, Lord, not to cave for your great name's sake and because of your amazing grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.